Hello, Malcolm here, and welcome to this second class in the series called Complete Unity for the Thames Valley Churches of Christ. This week, we're looking at how churches are unified with one another. So last week's class was focused on building unity in our local groups. This time, we're going to discuss unity between groups. This could be family groups, locations, churches, and so on. Let's remind ourselves of our inspiration for this, which is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. The Thessalonian church is a great example. Paul commends them for loving each other. And in verse 10, he says, In fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. In other words, not just, just there in their city of Thessalonica, but throughout Macedonia, a, a large region. There are other churches, presumably in, uh, in other Christians, and presumably in other churches, that feel loved by the Thessalonians. They are loving them. Paul commends them for that. And of course, he couldn't commend them for doing that unless those other Christians in those other churches would agree with his assessment. So the Thessalonians stand out as a church who love other churches. And isn't that a very Christ-like thing? Because it's not just about us and our local group. It's about us loving other congregations and other groups of Christians. So today we're going to have a quick look at what the New Testament reveals um, about churches loving each other and then hopefully what we can learn from them in terms of inspiration but also perhaps some practical application. So quickly first a whistle-stop tour of some demonstrations of unity between churches in the New Testament. How did that happen? Let me give you some examples. The first example is churches um, uh, being concerned about unity by resolving tension between congregations. Tension between congregations. This sometimes happens. I know Thames Valley is perfect and we all love each other perfectly all the time, but now and again there might be tension between Christians, but also sometimes tension between different groups of Christians. Well, in Acts chapter 15, it says that some people came down from Judea to Antioch and they were teaching the believers in Antioch, unless you're circumcised, you cannot be saved. Paul and Barnabas had a sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. They wanted to resolve the tension between these two groups of Christians. A lot of time, energy, and money must have been involved in resolving that tension that had the potential to divide the churches. Uh, they have a great council in Jerusalem, which you can study in Acts chapter 15, well worth studying it, don't have time in this class today. And the conclusion is so, so heartwarming. At the end of it, in chapter 15, verses 30 to 33, uh, some men are sent off from this council in Judea, they, uh, Jerusalem, they go uh, down to Antioch, they gather the church together, they deliver the letter, the people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, and they came from Jerusalem, said much to encourage and strengthen the believers there in Antioch, and after spending some time there, they were sent off by the believers with the blessing of peace to return to those who had sent them. So there's peace now between Jerusalem and Judean Christians, Antioch, the Christians up there, it's been resolved. Sometimes we need to do that kind of thing, spend the time, effort and money on resolving tension. Secondly, we see unity in financial support being offered to impoverished Christians from one congregation to another, from a church that is flush with the cash and the church that actually uh, is really struggling, uh, the Christians there. In Romans chapter 15, for example, verses 25 to 27, Paul says, I'm on my way to Jerusalem in service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Achaia, that's northern and southern Greece, were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. So poor Christians in Jerusalem uh, are being helped by wealthier Christians in Macedonia and Achaia. 
It's, he says they were pleased to do it. They wanted to help. And they, he says they owe it to them because, because of spiritual heritage, not financial things. And have a look also at uh, the same incidents being recorded and referred to in 1 Corinthians 16 and 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. And he says in chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians, verse 13, Our desire is not that others might be relieved in Jerusalem while you are hard-pressed in Macedonia and Achaia, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. He's saying at the moment, you're able to help them. Maybe in the future, they are going to be able to help you. Uh, the shoe will be on the other foot. Famine was very con uh, uh, very common in those days. Famine in the Judean Jerusalem area meant that the Christians over here, they weren't compelled to help them. Uh, there was no structure to make them do it, but they wanted to help. In several of his letters, Paul mentions a collection that's being taken amongst the churches for the benefit of the believers in Jerusalem who were facing tremendous economic difficulties. And the collection was a demonstration of solidarity of practic and practical assistance. Uh, churches from different regions contributing to the support of their fellow believers in Jerusalem. So we see that kind of unity. Third example, connecting and developing unity through people and letters. People and letters. Romans 16, verse 1 and 2. It talks about our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Centria. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Looks like Phoebe is delivering the letter to the Romans written by Paul. She's probably taking it there. She's a deacon of this other church. She's in some kind of leadership role. She's a benefactor. She's been helpful to so many people, including Paul. He says, she's coming from me. Please welcome her. There again, we could have a look at uh, Colossians chapter 4. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He's sending him. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, a fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He's coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother who is one of you. They will tell you everything that's happening here. Coming from Paul, um, they're going there to connect between what's happening with Paul and the church where he is and uh, to bring them encouragement and, uh, and information. And of course, also at the end of chapter 4 in Colossians, Paul says, after this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the, the Laodiceans, and that you, in turn, read the letter from Laodicea. So Paul's written to the Colossians and says, pass that on. And he's also written to the Laodiceans and says, make sure you get that one too and read that, even though it's written to the Laodiceans. So Paul is making sure good communication is going on and the churches know about each other's needs. You imagine that the church in Laodicea, as they're reading the church written to the Colossians, but then being read to them also, are thinking, oh, now we know better what's going on in Coloss Colossae. We can pray for them and support them. And similarly, the Colossians read the letter written to the Laodiceans, but now being read to them and they're, oh, that's what's happening there. We can pray for them. We can help them. And of course, those two churches, if you look at the geography, were quite close to each other. They would have had, one imagines, quite regular communications between them. It looks like Tychicus is the letter courier uh, in this particular situation taking a letter, making sure communication is going on between the churches. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 16, Peter says something rather interesting about Paul's letters. He says that his letters contain some things that are hard to understand, and we can all say amen to that, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Now, a couple of things about this, but the point for today is 
that Peter is familiar with Paul's letters, which means they've been widely distributed. So communication is going on around all the churches. Not only, I think, Paul's letters, but they are perhaps the most prominent and well-known at the time. At other times, Paul sends Timothy, Titus and others to help various churches. An interesting Bible study for us to do is to see how normative it was for those associated with Paul to travel to other congregations and to encourage them. You might like to do a group or personal Bible study on that to get a better picture of this, um, the way the information and people flowed from one congregation to another. And although we have to say that Paul was an individual writing about this, he was always embedded in that local congregational community. And thus, when he sent people, his loss was also a cost to the local church who no longer had Timothy or Titus around to help strengthen them. So with those examples in mind, let me offer a few unity suggestions that we might want to think about here in Thames Valley. Although just first, before we look at some practical suggestions, let me offer a word of perhaps of caution, which is this. Loving other churches is not about making ourselves feel better. Loving other churches is about them, not about us. It's not uncommon that we love other people in the way that we like to be loved. And while that's understandable, that's not real love, is it? Christian love is about finding out what the other person, or in this case the other church, needs and doing one's best to meet that need. Uh, so we begin with discovering what they would find loving, and then we proceed to the what, when, and how of the practicals. If the churches in Achaia and Macedonia had taken a collection and sent it to the Judeans, and the Judeans didn't need the money, the Judeans, I'm sure, would be like, well, that's very nice of them, but we don't actually need the money. And they wouldn't feel loved in the same way compared to the fact that the churches in Macedonia and Achaia knew about the uh, impoverished Christians in Judea, and they did something practical about that and met a particular need, which must have helped those church, uh, the Christians there and those churches feel loved. So what does that mean for us in Thames Valley? So speaking from a Thames Valley perspective, that means the church in Dorset finding out how to help SHMB to feel loved. Or it means South Bucks learning what would help Berkshire feel loved and vice versa each way around. I can say, for example, that the Watford Church feel loved by Thames Valley. We really do because of the warm welcome that Thames Valley has given to our teenagers who've been at some of the recent services. Our youth need that connection with more teenagers, and they also need to feel welcomed when they turn up, and they have. And the parents of the teenagers in Watford need their teens to feel welcomed and loved and, and blessed in that way, and, and they do. So Thames Valley have provided that, both by the way you've treated our teenagers and by the knock-on effect to our parents, and that's made a bond, a closer bond of love between Thames Valley and Watford. That's a way Watford feel loved. I hope we can return the compliment in some way from Watford to Thames Valley. This is the kind of thing we're talking about here is how do we help other congregations within our orbit to feel loved? And in particular, I'm focusing here on within Thames Valley, but of course this would extend beyond. But if we've got to start somewhere, we should start internally and then between our different locations, having worked out what this means, we can then, I guess, show more love to other congregations outside. Now, onto some ideas briefly. I'm going to just give you a few that come to my mind. This is going to be where I think a local discussion and prayerfulness are going to reveal the ways that we can do this better in any particular group. First suggestion, do a gift inventory of your group. Make an inventory of um, gifts and needs within your own group. What do you lack and what do you have? Lists of gifts like that found in Romans 16 will give you a good place to start. The gifts you have are a potential blessing to another group that does not have that gift. The gifts other groups have that you don't are a potential blessing to your group. That's one thing you could do. And then after doing that, exchange your gifts. Secondly, 
exchange speakers, musicians, people who can share specific faith and life experiences who might be useful. Thirdly, combine for worship. Worship together with another group, whether it's a whole group, a subgroup within those groups, or individually. Do some worshiping together of whatever kind that might mean, Sunday or prayer times or whatever. Uh, fourthly, make the most of special occasions. Make the most of bank holidays, holiday seasons, spending extended time together. Plan in advance. Perhaps also at the All Thames Valley events, like the Wellington Country Park Service, coming up very soon. Talk to people from other ministries, not just your own. Get connected. Fifthly, keep one another in mind spiritually. Pray for each other's needs and hopes and dreams and vision. Find out what they are and pray for them. Use technology to overcome the distance barrier. Fellowship on Zoom. Pray on Zoom, on the phone, on WhatsApp, whatever will actually work for you. Pray together on the phone. It's a bit strange at times, but it's better than not doing it at all. That'll help us keep one another in mind spiritually. Sixthly, work on something together. What kind of project together? Is there a combined project like our annual gift for the poor, for example, that you could support each other on between groups? And seventhly, eat together. That's the, that's not too hard, is it? Uh, practice hospitality, whether as a whole group or smaller units within your group. Romans 12, 13 and 1 Peter 4, 9 remind us of the significance of hospitality. In conclusion, let's remind ourselves that this is not simply a list of practicals that seem like a good idea to us, mine or whatever you come up with. They are instead, hopefully, expressions of taking Jesus seriously. He prayed for unity in John 17, 22 and 23, that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know you've sent me. And he lived and taught a heart level love. John 13, 34, 35. Love one another as I've loved you. You must love one another. By this or everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. So some closing questions. What other ways can you think of that would promote unity between our groups in the Thames Valley Churches of Christ? Notice that, by the way, we're not the Thames Valley Church of Christ. We're actually the Thames Valley Churches of Christ. Always have been. And that's to emphasize the fact that we intend to keep splitting and growing and splitting and growing. But how can we maintain our unity? What will work? Could your congregation, your group, have a prayer and discussion session about how to help other groups, other churches, other congregations, other locations to feel loved? And thirdly, what is your personal part in this? There's a part for your group, but there's also a part for you. Hope you find these thoughts stimulating and helpful. Drop me a line with any thoughts, malcolm at malcolmcox.org. We might extend this series because I've had quite a few people tell me they, they're interested in this topic. If you'd like to see a couple more classes on some other aspects of unity, please do let me know. Again, malcolm at malcolmcox.org. And I do hope and pray that with not so much just these classes, but with our praying and thinking about what Jesus would want from us and in our communities, I pray that we can be brought to maintain and grow in complete unity. Till the next time, take care and God bless.